Richard Howard, who works out of the AWS London office, has interviewed a number of angel investors about the mistakes first-time founders should avoid, why CEOs should be open to mentorship, and more. Hi, this is Richard Howard for the AWS Angel Investor podcast series. Today, we have Eamon Carey. Eamon is the MD of Techstars London. Before that, he was the MD of Techstars Connections with AB InBev in New York. We're going to talk around a lot of things, including the value of joining an accelerator, how to get in touch with angels, and how to grab their attention when you do so. We talk about VC economics, how to set your valuation and discuss it with your angel investors, as well as a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Eamon. Oh, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Awesome. Uh, awesome to have you. Um, tell me a little bit about your background. What were you doing before Techstars? What is the background of Eamon? Yeah, so it's it's weird sitting in a studio recording this. So I, I started out as a journalist uh, on radio back in, in Ireland. Uh, so I was lucky enough, I mean, even before that, my dad used me as an excuse to buy stuff that he wanted. So he <laughs> bought a, a Sinclair Spectrum computer with, with 48K of raw power back in the in the early 80s. And, and that was what I learned how to code on. Back then, you could buy magazines that would have like printed out pages and pages and pages of code that you could type in and execute and then it would allow you to play a game. Uh, so learned the the coding language basic as a result of that and was always tinkering around with computers and the internet when we got the 14.4k modem into the house and just was fascinated by technology in general. Did a little bit of a pivot, as it were, and went and, and studied journalism and, and did some some radio for a couple of years. And, and then around uh, 2004, 2005, I was talking to a couple of people I knew saying, hey, this, you know, internet thing, we should pay way more attention to it and put more content on it and think about podcasts and video and all of these different things. And I'd been in Korea earlier that year and I remember sitting on a subway uh, and this guy sat down next to me and he started watching a movie on his phone. I thought this, like this is the few, back then I had a Nokia 3310, like we were still trying to get a high score on Snake and this guy was watching Spider-Man 2. Just so you know, I got a very high score on Snake. (laughs) I had a terrible, terrible (laughs) score on it, which is probably why I wanted fancier phones. But I, I saw this guy doing this and thought, all right, well, mobile is the the future and, and, and content on mobile has huge potential. Uh, so I went home and was lucky enough that a few friends of mine were working for brands and agencies and they said, hey, you know, we're trying to get more stuff on mobile. We're trying to get more stuff online. You know, how do we do it? And I thought, well, I know how to do content. I know how to do the internet and I have a bunch of people who have money. Like I should figure out a structured way to accept it. And so I started my first company, uh, ran that for, for a couple of years, grew it into uh, a, a reasonably sized uh, business and, and and sold that. Then started a, a games company with a, a couple of friends of mine, which we again uh, were lucky enough to to sell. You know, neither of these were kind of like life alteringly large kind of uh, acquisitions, but. Um, enough to just start kind of noodling around and, and start to do some angel investing. And so looked at some companies that were looking to expand out of the US into Europe and kind of help them out a little bit, uh, you know, connecting them with, with potential clients and customers. Uh, started talking to people who were doing early stage uh, startups themselves and, and needed help and, and advice. And uh, I think probably 2000. 2011, I think I, I did my first uh, angel investment. Okay, awesome. What was the catalyst where you were like, you know, I've got some money, I'm probably meeting a couple of companies, this is the company that I want to invest in, this is what I want to do. What was that that kind of motivated you to do that? Yeah, so I guess it's probably a little bit like having a founder-investor fit, right? So yeah. the, I think the first company I invested in was a company called Neardesk, uh, started by a guy called Tom Ball. And I met Tom at an event in the Century Club, not too far from where we are now, 
and I was chatting to him and he said, I'm, I'm starting this, this company. I was like, all right, tell me what it is. And he's like, well, you know, moving office is a real pain. And I thought, it is a real pain, right? We, we'd moved office quite a bit with the company I'd, I'd started and you had lease agreements and long-term leases and you had to buy furniture and you had to do all of these kind of things that were quite painful to do and, and quite expensive and onerous. Uh, he was like, you know, why should anyone have a fixed office? Surely they should be able to work from anywhere and uh, you should be able to kind of, you know, your office should scale with your company and your office should be convenient to the location that you're in. And, you know, all of this really, really rang true with me for, for for the experience that I'd had as a, you know, business owner. And as he was talking about it, I was like, you know what, like millions of people are going to use this. It is going to be absolutely huge. And this this idea of kind of flexible workspace and, and being able to work from anywhere has obviously turned out to be absolutely huge as a, as a concept. Um, but it was really that kind of resonance of here is someone doing, like tackling a problem that I'd felt pretty keenly uh, myself doing it in a way that used kind of technology and location in an interesting way, who was a founder who I felt a kind of personal connection to. I you know, really liked uh, Tom, and I thought, you know what, this feels like uh, you know, a, bit of a bit of a trifecta of problem I understand, solution I really like, and, and, and a founder that I think has real potential. And so it was a pretty, pretty easy uh, decision to make on, on that basis. And I think that's been the basis for a lot of the angel, well, angel and Techstars investments that I've made uh, subsequently. So you talk there about, you know, it was, it was kind of like founder, angel fit. You had the, that pain point as a, as a founder yourself. Have you developed a more, I, I guess, like grand thesis of investment since your first angel investment? Or is it still kind of a little bit of a gut feel of this sounds like a real pain point or pain point that I have felt? And this is a founder that, you know, I'd like to work with. I probably have a little bit more of a kind of range of areas that I'm I'm interested in. I still fall victim to the kind of trap of going, that's a problem I have. You yeah. Know, th- therefore, other people must have it as well. And and that that is, you know, particularly if you're a, a, a first time angel investor, you know, you tend to kind of see things and go, oh, you know, that's something that I can help with or, you know, a problem that I've personally faced. And sometimes you kind of overemphasize that in your own head and assume that maybe the market is a lot bigger than it it, it really is. But I think what I've, what I learned over the, the, the first couple of investments that I made was, A, you know, it has to be something that I care about and, yep. and and I'm interested in. It has to be something where I feel like there is value that I can add either through the kind of network that I have or the the experience that I've had. You know, and I, and and there has to be something where I feel like this person or these people who are who are running the business are not only competent enough to 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 make it happen, but are also passionate enough to kind of walk into walls occasionally until they, they they get to that kind of product market fit and and really make it sing. Yeah. So was it like a couple of angel investments here and there and then it was it was into Texas. I remember so when I did Techstars in 2014, I believe you were a mentor on mm-hmm. that on that program, but you weren't working for Techstars then. No, so so I think 20 about 2012, I met a company called TasteBuds, which was a dating app that matched you based on your taste in music. They had gone through a program called Springboards, which was run by John Bradford, who subsequently turned that into into Techstars London. Uh, and so I was working with the the guys. They I think made the introduction to John, and he was like, "Look, you know, introduce the concept of Techstars." And, and mentoring, and I thought that was that concept of give first and going in and and, and helping founders and and being you know at least trying to to give some semblance of of advice or, or you know, guidance is probably a fine word uh, to say you know best guess 
that really resonated. And so when they did the first Techstars London program in, in 2013, I mentored on that and then did the two programs in, in 2014, uh, invested in in a couple of the companies and, and got involved more in, in, in the companies. And then I think at the start of 2015, they said, oh, we have this entrepreneur in residence thing that we do. You know, do you want to do you want to do that? And so uh, did that with Chris Adelsbach, who um He's going to be on the show before too long as well, yeah. and uh, worked with him on the the Barclays program and did did two cycles of of that Barclays program with him, and then I guess I was just kind of and and had helped at Techstars in Berlin and Tel Aviv and a few other places. So I suspect I just hung around long enough that they were like, all right, well, like, we better give this guy an email address at, at, at the minimum, you know? <laughs> I had email address, t shirt, and a hoodie. And yeah, then we'll yeah. Go... I'm in. Like you know, you're in for life at that stage. Send him to New York. Yeah, yeah. Well, the New York thing was interesting. They kind of uh, they said we've got this program. You know, with with AB InBev in New York, and I thought, like, you know, Irish person beer <laughs> program, New York, like, there's a PR story here waiting to happen. But that was one that was, you know, it was a, a, an interesting opportunity because I kind of figured, how many more times in my life is someone going to turn around to me and go, "Do you want to go to New York to, you know, invest in a bunch of great companies?" Obviously, that's what I thought when I told that to my wife. It was a, a slightly different conversation. Do you have like a different lens for when you're looking at companies through a Techstars lens and through like a personal angel investment lens? Or is it just, I'm looking for great companies, I'm looking for great founders, or is there something different for a Techstars company versus maybe an Eamon Carey personal investment? I think it's merged quite a bit over the, the last couple of years. You know, I think when I started doing angel investments, it was either into companies where I like really personally felt the pain, like, a, you know, like a, a near desk or, or, or Spatch, who later became uh, mainframe out of the uh, the Techstars London class that, that you were part of. Um, or it was working with companies where, you know, I knew that through the network of brands and advertisers and agencies and, and, and other people that I knew and that I'd worked with that I could kind of help move the needle in, in in that way. I think then going in and, and starting to do more stuff in Techstars, I started thinking a lot more about, okay, well, I have this kind of bigger network that I can now leverage, which probably gives me a little bit more scope to kind of think about, okay, well, what are the the wider problems that I think are, you know, big opportunities for for companies, which is where when I did the program with with AB InBev, I started thinking an awful lot more about food and food tech and 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 the future of of food. We did a lot around kind of beverages and and fermentation, did a lot around kind of machine learning and and AI. Uh, and so that kind of thesis started to kind of evolve and then when I came to do Techstars London, which is one of our city programs where we can invest in any type of sector and, and, and kind of any stage from anywhere in the world, that kind of became some of the, the lenses through which I looked at the companies applying. I'm still lucky enough to kind of go every so often we have a company that doesn't fit into anywhere even approximating any of those buckets. But I think the founders are amazing. You know, the problem they're solving is big. And I'm now lucky enough that I have this kind of network of other MDs and mentors and people around me that I can go... I don't fully understand this. Like, can you can you take a look at this company and tell me, am I crazy or you know, is this is this legitimate? So the two have kind of coalesced, and as a result, I've done kind of you know different types of uh, angel investments, and and probably have done different types of of tech stars investments as a result as well. Uh, if I found out and I'm listening to this, what is the like what is the the benefit of going through an accelerator program like tech stars versus just trying to raise money from angel? Now I know this personally because I I went through tech stars in 2014. I found it super valuable, but not everybody's me. Some people might have a network. Some people might have a really deep tech uh, background. So I'm a founder working on something. What is it about an accelerator that that is super valuable? I think it's 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 a couple of things. I think one 
is is the network you know even for for founders who have had success previously or who have previous uh, or pre-existing networks you know coming in and, and and getting access to the kind of collective brain power that sits around the table during a mentor madness session and so mentor madness for folks who don't know uh, during techstars programs companies meet about 100 or 110 kind of different partners and mentors who are former entrepreneurs or you know domain experts or people who've got kind of big significant expertise in a couple of different ways. So they meet them over the first month of the program. So you're getting tons of really experienced people looking at your company and giving you good feedback, great, you know, introductions, a lot of things to think about and getting that kind of collective brain power around a problem or, you know, a solution or a product is not something that happens very often. So I think that is one big thing. And then that network as as it manifests as companies get bigger and grow and scale. And you know, now we have a kind of online component where people can go, oh, I'm thinking about expanding into the Japanese market. What should I do? And you know, with close to 2,000 portfolio companies now, the, the Techstars network can say, oh, here's like three people that have already done it. Go learn from them. And a lot of it is about like figuring out the mistakes other people made so that you can go make a whole bunch of new ones and, and, and tell us about them. So that network is one big thing. And then I think the other one is is that is literally the time pressure. So I know I've had and I've had a lot of conversations with people in the investment and accelerator world about, you know, could you do a programs are typically three months, right? 13 weeks, about 90 days. Could you do a longer program? Could it be six months? Could it be a year? Could it be shorter, etc.? But there is something and I don't know what it is. It's the countdown clock. Okay, it's, it's the it's, countdown it's, clock yeah. that's literally on the wall. You go into a text office there is a countdown clock by the day by the minute by the second that tells you how long you've got till demo day and and the biggest the single biggest thing for for every startup regardless of of what stage they're at is momentum right like this is a game of 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 momentum and and the more that you can generate the more that you will appeal to investors acquirers to partners to employees to to a whole range of people and so if you think about kind of going you come in on day one by day 30 you've met 100 people and then you look at the clock and it's like oh my God, I've got, you know, effectively 50 days to go to actually turn all of these connections into something tangible because then I've got to stand on stage in front of hundreds of people and talk about what I've learned. So to an extent, you kind of manufacture that momentum for the companies going through it and the ones that can kind of bottle that and and continue to to kind of maintain that momentum through the the rest of the life of their their business you know that's that's a kind of x factor and i think that's one of the real kind of value propositions that we maybe don't talk about enough we put the countdown clock above the toilet door so you have to see it yeah. <laughs> you're definitely going to see it every day so i think it's that piece is really really valuable and you know now that network has evolved into you know hundreds of corporates you know investors all over the world mentors all over the world and and companies that have expanded globally but still there is something quite special about that idea that you've got you know 90 days to go and and in most cases companies coming in now are a little bit later stage they already have a product they already have customers they already have users they already have stuff going on but it's fascinating to see even the ones that have already been successful suddenly having this massive time constraint to do something meaningful like that kind of um, greases the wheels. Yeah. So it's interesting. You talked about companies that are coming in already a little bit later stage and they might have been. I remember so back when uh, I did Techstars in 2014, we came in with the most basic product you could possibly imagine. Then there was a couple of companies in the in the same boat. I've met this current Techstars cohort, the, the London one that, that you're running. They're much later than, than we were at the time. And as an angel investor who's been around since 2011, do you find that companies are doing a little bit more on their own, you know, maybe, you know, going out there and finding their own angels, building a little bit of an MVP, getting some traction before they're looking for that kind of next stage of acceleration? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, even in the comparatively recent past, the ability to build something 
that works without necessarily even maybe knowing how to code in 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 some cases you know that that exists now you know i don't want to be the kind of you know old man shouts a cloud kind of uh, grumpy older person but it's like I remember when we started the the first company, it's like, you know, if you wanted server space, you had to like literally go and buy, talk to a guy about a server. Like, I'm not sure you could necessarily buy them as easily on online. You know, the, the open source frameworks weren't as prevalent or easily accessible. You know, there was some stuff around, whereas now you kind of go with the various different tools that are out there and, and offers from AWS and others. There's a whole bunch that companies can do before they ever realistically need to talk to me either with my angel investor hat on or with my tech stars hat on. And they can get much more kind of traction, engagement, um, you know, and, and, and momentum before they actually need to to come to us, which I think is quite a good thing in, in aggregate because it means people can, you know, they can make more mistakes before they then have the pressure of someone else's money in their bank account and the kind of accountability that, that comes with that. In aggregate, it has been positive and I hope it continues. And when they're coming to you, they're a little bit later. Is there anything particular that you're looking for? Is it traction? Is it the team? Is it like, is there something that that you are are really kind of um, angling for when you're looking at these potential investments, both both uh, personally and, and through Techstars? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the, the lenses have kind of merged a little bit on this front as well. So the way Techstars kind of looks at investments is it's team, 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 market traction idea. And so it is always about, you know, even though the companies are slightly later stage than than was the case when I first started mentoring or even first started doing stuff with tech stars, you're still fundamentally looking for are these good people? Is there founder market fit? Is there um, you know founder solution fit? Is there the ability to not only talk about and sell this, but also the ability to actually go and and build it and and you know that kind of balance of of abilities within the the founding team so that's always what you're you know looking for and 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 what I'm always looking for you know and I suppose the 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 difference in terms of some of the 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 angel investments well I suppose it's the same for both you're ultimately looking at this as you're investing in a company and you're probably going to be in a relationship with them for the best part of you know 7 10 20 years and you want to make sure that they're good people and that you're going to be happy to have a call with them once a month or once a quarter or once a day, you know, when the things are going extremely well or when things are going extremely badly. So fundamentally, my view at, at the earlier stages is this is a people business. I think when you get to kind of seed, seed extension, and particularly as you get to series A and beyond, that's when it's like numbers, you know, month over month growth, retention, conversion, like all of those numbers become much more important. I think if the team is screwed up at the start, then, you know, it's never going to go anywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that I think I hear from from founders who don't, haven't gone through an accelerator, and so they're very early stage, haven't gone through an accelerator, they might not have a personal network. What's the best way for them to get in touch with with you, with other investors? Do you, do you look at cold emails? Do you not look at them? Do they have to make a connection through someone you might know? What is the best way to get in touch with? No, I mean, I I, I don't believe in, in there being some sort of kind of esoteric chant that you have to kind of do with the gates for the walls to blow and then you can only then can you kind of pitch an investor. Like my direct mentions on, on, on Twitter are open. I have a LinkedIn premium account so people can send me messages for free. Um, my email address is aiming at techstars.com. Like it's, it's pretty, there's not the, 
the advantage of being called the, the the blessing and the curse of being called Eamon Carey is there's not a lot of Eamon Careys out there, so you can probably guess what my Gmail address is if you really wanted to. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm quite open to to talking to vendors. In fact, it's I view it as my job to 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 kind of be aware of of what people are doing. The, the reality is, and I don't have a kind of you know a, a pre seed vision fund, uh, so I can't I can't invest in, in in every opportunity, and I probably do. In fact, I I definitely do significantly less angel investing at the moment just because I have a I have 10 companies that I invest in through Techstars and they they keep me honest um, yep. for for a good chunk of the year but I think most you know a lot of people are pretty easily accessible I mean what I would say to to founders who are reaching out to uh, VCs or angel investors or or anyone else is like keep it short be brief get to the point very quickly like I can't tell you how many messages I get on on LinkedIn that are you know Eight paragraphs long, and 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 the first seven, you know, don't even tell me why they've they've sent the message. Yeah. The flip side of that is someone who goes, you know, sends a direct message on Twitter and goes, "Hi, Eamon, I've got a business. Would you like to know more?" Right. Well, you know, yeah, yes. You know, in this initial tweet, it would be nice to know what it does. So I think be brief, but and don't be afraid to reach out to people. Of course, if you can, you know, get a a warm connection or a warm referral, then you know. Go ahead and do that, but I think most people are, are are pretty open to you know ask. I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago that was just like just ask for one thing, like ask me one thing that I can answer in in five seconds, and I'll reply to your email or I'll reply to your message, and then you've got an excuse to email me back to say yeah. hey thanks. By the way, you know one more thing. So I think if you just do those things, you know I think a lot of VCs, a lot of uh, angels, a lot of a lot of other people are, are are very very happy to to invest. I mean, I made I think I made my first ever investment this year from a from a cold email, you know, and 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 it was just you know first sentence of the email grabbed me right, and I was like, all right, you know, and it was short and to the point. I was like, all right, I kind of want to know more. It's it's you know if 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 people remember. When the Star Wars uh, Force Awakens trailer came out, right, you had that just that the I think there was a loud noise, and then there was kind of you know there has been an awakening, right, and that moment that teaser trailer, even though it didn't really tell you anything that was going to happen in the movie, I was like, take my money, yeah, like <laughs> take all of it right now, that's fine, and and that's partly because I'm a Star Wars fan, it's also because they did such a good job of the the teaser, the same when the the Avengers Endgame movie came out, and it was you know the Tony Stark uh, yeah. dying in the spaceship type of thing. If you think of that cold email that you're sending to someone as a as a movie teaser, like what's the thing that's going to make them say, "Show me the two minute clip now"? Like I've seen the fifteen seconds or the thirty seconds. I really want to see the rest of it. And if you think about it in in those terms, it forces you to be a little bit creative in in how you uh, how you communicate with people. So yeah. for anyone who's listening who does want to pitch, please do. You know, I'm always happy to hear stuff, but but please keep it short. Yeah, be brief and be specific. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I I wanted to talk to you a little bit because. Email. I think you sent out. Is it monthly or is it every couple of weeks? The the sharing deal flow email. Yeah. So so when I came back from the the states, a couple of friends of mine over there were like, "Oh, like, can you send us you know interesting companies that you see in in the UK and in in Europe?" Uh, and so I thought, well, rather than sending kind of thirty emails a, a month, I'll send one email to, to to thirty people. And so it started pretty small, just kind of yeah, once once a month or once every couple of months. Like, here's five or six companies that I met through TechStars, or you know, companies that I met just in general. In many cases, companies that were raising rounds that, as a personal investor, were, were slightly too big for me, but I knew other people might be be interested in. And yeah, it kind of grew. Like so, it was funny. I saw on on TimeHop today, which is kind of like, what were you doing? You know, one year, two years, five years ago on on social media, it was like there were a hundred people on it uh, this day two years ago. There's now I think eight hundred VCs and angels uh, from across Europe, the US, Asia, all, all over. 
and there's now a 400 strong Slack group of of angels and VCs off the back of it as well. And the idea was just that, like, a there are a lot of really good companies out there, and even though it is VCs and, and angels and accelerators and others, it's our job to know about as many of them as possible. There's just not a universe in which we can all know about all of them. And so I thought, all right as I meet companies, ones that I've invested in, ones that my friends have invested in, ones that I can't invest in, or ones I you know, maybe even don't understand, I'd love to give them access to a bigger audience. And so, yeah, just send, send the emails out. It's now every two weeks, about four, four or five, well, somewhere between three and five companies every two weeks, seed and, and pre-seed, seed and, and, and series A from, from all over the world. And I think now the, through the introductions that, that have been made on it, we've we've had... You know, I think it's it's probably now about fifteen million, maybe even a little bit more that have been that's been invested in in companies as a as a result of it. And I think one of the things is like I'm a firm believer in collaboration, right? I, I think for a long time, uh, angels, VCs, companies, lots of other people kind of guarded their their contacts uh, pretty pretty jealously, rightly or wrongly, depending on your perspective. But I think. Um, as a global ecosystem, but even more so as a kind of European and, and, and local ecosystem, the more that people collaborate and the more that people can help one another out, the better it gets. And I've seen that firsthand with Techstars. You've seen that firsthand with, with Techstars. You know, if we can kind of have that give first mentality across a bunch of different places and, and you know, share a little bit of deal flow and share a little bit of learnings. For me, the positives outweigh the the negatives. And plus, it's it's just, it's it's really good fun. Like I say, if, 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 if I had a you know, $100 billion to write a bunch of 100K checks, then I would probably just invest in in all of the companies I could find. But, I mean, unless someone's listening. <laughs> you know, I've already given out my email address, so like, yeah. feel free. Maybe, but, maybe there's a deal flow for LPs that we're just not on yet. <laughs> That's it. They're That's listening it. to this, and oh, that Eamon guy sounds really smart. But uh, I, I think the email is is awesome. And, and, and that's the thing. So, you know, going back to Amy's previous point, if you send him a very interesting, cold email that is specific to the point that has an, you have an interesting company, an interesting startup, you know, even might or might not invest, but he's also able to send this this email out to to these eight hundred other investors and, and VCs, and he's given you his email address. So be smart when you're being called emailed. Don't just send that. Hey, I have a business. You want to? You know? Do you want to know more? Uh, try and grab him in the in the Star Star Wars way or the the Avengers way. So now now we've gone from the you know getting introdu- introduced to investors or, or maybe um, getting connected to investors. What advice do you have for startups in the kind of the pitching phase? And so entrepreneurs, what are like what are good pitches, or or what are things that they really really should avoid? Um, I so many answers on on, <laughs> on both sides. So Chris Coburn, who is a mentor on uh, on on the TechStars program that I ran in New York and was the sales director at a, a company that I'd worked with, he had this thing of like every the goal of every meeting is to get another meeting, right? And I think the pitches are exactly the same. You know, the goal of sending your pitch deck or your video or whatever out to someone is to get a call. The goal of that call is to get a meeting with them. The goal of that meeting is to maybe get to the partner meeting. The goal of the partner meeting is to get to the meeting where you go and have you know champagne after the money goes into your bank account and then the next meeting is a board meeting etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so you know you should always be thinking about you know a, a a call to action or a reason for someone to to continue having a, a conversation with you be brief in your your pitches i think for for founders particularly where there's there's multiple founders like practice it rehearse it have it off by heart and practice your answers so when you're going to pitches have one person who's always taking notes of the questions that you're being asked so that you can then go okay here's the FAQ that every investor has asked us we stack rank those questions and we're getting asked these ones every single time maybe we need to answer them in the pitch right if you have multiple people in the the pitch conversation with you make sure that you're all on message and saying roughly the same thing make 
make sure you're not talking over uh, one another. Make sure, and this happens more often than people think, like make sure you don't end up rambling, right? There, there is a tendency sometimes for people to get into the weeds about the technology, and that is fascinating. But if you've got a 15 or 20 or 25 minute meeting with, with someone and you look at your watch, so I had someone, I talked to someone yesterday who said they wanted to ask me something and I got on the call and it was 13 minutes later, I, I looked at my watch, I was like, this guy's still talking yeah. and I'm not actually sure what the conversation is even about anymore. So be focused and, and and make the most out of it because I think when investors see structured thinking, when they see fast answers, when they see that kind of knowledge of the business really manifest in the way that you kind of engage and reply, that is is hugely valuable. Also, be honest, right? If if someone says, hey, you know, can you tell me, you know, exactly what revenue you're going to make in April 2023? It's okay to go, I don't know. In fact, it's quite a positive thing to go, I don't know, but let me send you an email to get that answer to you later on today, right? It creates an additional excuse to, yep. to get back in touch with someone. So I think those are those are things to 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 kind of be be aware of. You know, know your audience, right? Your enemy is the fact that they could go on Deliveroo and decide to get something to to eat instead of listening to your pitch. Um, or, you know, whatever. There's enough devices that could vibrate on their hands or heads or anywhere pockets, anywhere else uh, nowadays. So, you know, that's what you're competing against. So you have to be short and 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 to the point. And I think be, you know, try and be try and be nice as well and, and bring chewing gum. We always used to say at the mentor madness for the for the companies like uh, mints. Because when you t- you know, if you spend <laughs> yeah, yeah. F- six hours talking to someone, it's like, you know, your mouth dries out a little bit and uh, chewing gum and, and mints. People people remember stuff like that. Like genuinely it's 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 one of those things. So there's a whole host of things that you should and shouldn't do. But I think if you know your business, if you can articulate really clearly why you've started this, why you have an unfair advantage or a unique ability to tackle this this problem that you're going after, why you're the right team and, and people to go after it, and why you think that this next 200K or 500K or million quid that you're going to raise is going to allow you to achieve goals within 18 months that will either get you to profitability or to another round of, of funding. That's great. And also know your audience. If you're pitching to a, a VC investor, they're not going to be interested in your company if you're going to get to 5 million pounds in revenue in the next five years. Like yeah. They're shooting for companies that will be fund returners. And there is absolutely, I mean, I think more people should build companies that make five million pounds in five years in a way that is sustainable and predictable because there's a lot of people that, you know, use VC money as an accelerant and then they accelerate themselves like a, you know, kind of Warner Brothers cartoon, Wile E. Coyote just going splat into a, into a wall. So I think just be conscious of, of your audience because sometimes, you know, we see people pitching VCs and then VCs coming out afterwards going, that's great, like they're really nice, but this just isn't for us. Whereas there are some angel investors, quite few, who are quite happy investing in companies where they go, you know what, if if I invest 50K into this company and I own 5% of it and it sells for 30 million pounds or 20 million pounds, that's quite a lot of money. And if you as a founder can retain 80% of your company and it sells for 10 million quid, that's a pretty life-changing amount of money. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think people just need to think of it. That's a lot, very long-winded answer. No, I, I think it's true. I think founders really need to understand the economics of the investor that they're pitching. If you're an angel and you can 5x your money, it's that's that's a lot. Yeah. Um, you're you're not getting that in, in any other investment. Um, but if you're a VC, like you said, you need to be a fund returner at the minimum. And if a if you're a VC with a hundred million pound fund, and the the VC is going to buy twenty percent of your company, you need to be sold for five hundred million pounds yeah. to return that that fund. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a lot of money. And it's, you know, there was, I can't remember the title of the post now, embarrassingly, but there was a there was a really good post that was on Medium, predictably enough, uh, not so long ago about VC economics and and, and understanding exactly that and, and mapping out kind of, you know, company valuations and, and helping people understand, you know, power laws. I mean, I think people should buy, you know, the secrets of Sand Hill Road that um, Scott Cooper just wrote from, from Andreessen Horowitz. They should buy venture deals, like understand all of the dynamics that are happening here. You know, for, for angel investors, you know, you've got to consider if someone is going to write you a check for 10K or 20K, it's it's a choice between going on a really nice holiday or giving you the money, yeah. right? So you've, you've got to be more appealing than that and you've got to show that you're going to deliver a better return than having the money in a, in a bank account. But a VC, you know, it is a very different world and a very different kettle of fish. And having, you know, millions of pounds in funding from an investor is great and materially can can change the outcome and, and trajectory of your business. But you also have to, you know, one of the challenges we see it all the time, a company, you know, raises 10 million pounds and it has a 50 million pound valuation. And really actually the company needed to raise 3 million pounds at a 15 million pound valuation. You do that 10 million at 50, within 18 months, you're going to have to have grown enough to swallow that 50 million pound valuation. And if you haven't, you know, if you ever tried to swallow something that's the wrong size for your gullet, uh, it's yeah. uh, it's not a pleasant experience. No, for sure. So let's put ourselves in the situation. I'm a, I'm a founder. I've decided that I'm early stage. So I'm raising in like a, a seed round or a pre-seed round. How do you tell uh, the founders that, that you work with to think about valuation? <laughs> so I think the reality is, I mean, SEIS, EIS, crowdfunding rounds, sometimes the valuations can be, can be a little bit skewed. I think realistically, once you get into VC world, you know, you're always going to end up giving away somewhere between 15 and 25% of, of your company in a round of funding that you do. So, you know, it's pretty easy if someone comes to me and says, hey, we're raising a £2 million seed round. Mentally, I'm going, all right, roughly a £10 million valuation. I can then back that into the numbers that they supply me and go, okay, this feels like it's, you know, a good fit or way off the mark or you know, potentially has has uh, an opportunity if they can spend that money wisely. Um, I think sometimes in in seed rounds or pre seed rounds, I should say, and and angel rounds, you know, you can probably end up giving away a lot less of the company. You know, in in some cases, kind of five ten percent of the company, but you should be prepared to give away you know a, a, a reasonable chunk of it, but also be wary of giving away too much of it, right? I mean, I think one of the the problems that we have, I wouldn't quite say it's at epidemic level, but it's 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 at non-trivial level, uh, not just here in the UK, but across Europe, is that we see an increasing number of founders coming in who've raised a 100 or 200k from angels, and they've given away 30, 40, and, and in one memorable case, about 70% of their company. And unfortunately, in VC terms, at that point, you become almost uninvestable unless you can force a recap, which then is a, a whole other kettle of fish. So these are all things to kind of think about as you manage your cap table. You also got to be wary about, you know, I, I can't quite necessarily fully understand why people hate it so much, but people hate messy cap tables. So if you've got a yeah. bunch of individual 1K investors coming in, and it does get, you know, slightly painful further down the line. So I think there there are a lot of factors to take into account. But I mean, I would say for an early stage company looking at raising kind of its first round of, of capital, you should not be giving away any more than, you know, 20% of, of your, your company. At most, 25%. If someone is adding some comically large kind of amount of, of value outside of just the, the money they're giving you. So I think those are the the kind of numbers that, that people should should keep in their head. I think the other thing I would say really strongly, and, and we'll uh, be writing about this for, for the folks that sifted before too long, is 
one of the challenges with term sheets that exists at the moment is that there are a lot of terrible ones out there, either through a, a, a lack of education or through a lack of awareness of, of what kind of a good term sheet looks like. So don't be afraid to ask people, you know, whether they be other um, VCs, investors, other, I mean, the best source of information for a lot of this stuff is founders who have raised capital. And I would say strongly to, to anyone who is looking at a term sheet now, you know, and going, oh, I'm not sure if I should have a 5x participating liquidity preference in my seed round. A, if you don't know what that is, you should read the book Venture Deals. And B, if you do have terms in there that look a little bit hinky, don't be afraid to to reach out to people and, and kind of go, hey, do you have a minute just to answer one or two questions about this? Because you will be amazed at how many founders will have a real empathy for for what you're going through. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's absolutely true. And the one the one thing I'd say on, on set evaluation, because it's a question that, that I get a lot whenever I talk to, to early stage companies, they're like, what do you think my valuation should be? What should I set it at? Uh, when we went through Texas back in 2014, I think it was uh, it was David Brown who who led the talk on valuation, and it was basically, guys, this is capitalism, right? Your valuation will be what the market can bear. Yep. If you go and try and raise money at a 10 million dollar valuation and nobody bites, then you're not a 10 million dollar company. Yeah. Um, but you know, so you have to kind of reset your expectations, and the market will bear what it what it can bear. And if you can raise half a million at a five or 10 million valuation, go for it. And if you can't, then you have to reset your expectations. It's, yep the nature of capitalism. I think what founders should have a good idea of is how much money they need. So how much money are you raising? You know, And then what does an extra 50% or 100% on top of that buy you in terms of additional resource or additional pace or additional momentum? I think that's a much more important number for people to understand and for people to really be able to back up uh, rather than people going out and saying, you know, and I, and I get these emails an awful lot as well, we're raising at a valuation of, you know, five million pounds or we're raising a valuation of 10 million pounds without telling me how much you're actually raising. I think it's much more important to know what you need uh, rather than what you want. And and you're right. Like if you say I'm raising five hundred thousand pounds and uh, VCs go, I'm really interested. Yeah, like I'm I'm going to soft commit on that based on you know a certain set of of uh, you know criteria. And then you go back to them and go actually, we're massively oversubscribed and now it looks like we're going to raise a million quid. When you're in that position, then you can start saying, and the valuation is going to be one million at 10 because everyone wants into this round and it's going to be led by celebrity investor A, B or C. Like at that point, you can dictate the terms. Until you get to that point, the terms are kind of in most people's minds relatively standard. Yeah. Cool. Um, so just before we get to wrapping up, I just have a couple of, of relatively quick questions. So you've been Techstars New York, Techstars London, how do you compare the ecosystems? What is it like as an entrepreneur looking to raise money in, in both places? Uh, the space is a lot more expensive, but they move a lot faster. Uh, so there, there is uh, a lot more pace in both in, in funding decisions occasionally, but in business decisions as well. So you know, partnerships tend to to happen a little bit uh, more quickly. Pilots tend to happen a little bit faster. The budgets for pilots tend to be more substantial uh, as well, and and the kind of move from pilot uh, or POC to kind of business as usual is, is is usually a lot faster for people. It's probably a slightly more collaborative ecosystem, which, you know, I think the UK is getting uh, a, an awful lot better. And I think the other big thing is that a lot of the people who are investing and uh, both as, as, as angels and, and VCs, they're kind of recycling capital that they've made from their own entrepreneurial endeavors. And so I can't remember where the stat was the other day that said that, you know, about 80% of VCs in the US were former operators and, and the number here was less than 10%. And I'm not sure that there is necessarily a golden ratio of, of who should be a former operator to, to who shouldn't. But I think there is probably a little bit more empathy. And the biggest difference is 
in the States, and we saw this a lot during investor meetings and, and lunches and various different things, was US folks will meet a company and the company will pitch them their vision for being the, you know, whatever, Uber for light switches. And a lot of investors there will go, oh my God, there are so many light switches in the world. <laughs> like this has the potential to be a really big business. You have a similar conversation over here and it's like Uber for light switches. It's like, how many light switches really are there in the world, right? So there, I think people see potential. Here, people sometimes start with the, the problem. And again, I'm not sure if necessarily both approaches are, are correct or, or incorrect, but it's just a slightly different kind of mindset and uh, and dynamic. Yeah, I, th I think that empathy point is is super important. So I remember... When I was going through my startup and and it wasn't successful, and I remember when we were we were struggling, I would wake up and my bed was like covered in sweat, like just it was drenched. And I, you know, I did the stupid thing of googling uh, what is going wrong. And it's like, hey, you are either suffering from like severe anxiety or you have cancer. And I yeah. was like, well, that's great either way. And I just don't think that if you haven't done it. You just can't understand what it is like to go through it. So I'm obsessed with ceilings, right? Yeah. Like I always say to people, and it is, I can probably still do it. I could probably draw you a very, very accurate map of the ceiling of my bedroom from when I was running my my company because you would wake up at three o'clock in the morning sweating. And I looked it up, I was like, I have hyperthyroidism. <laughs> I was like, right, that's that's the excuse. I'm not anxious, I'm not stressed out about the company. It's like I have something wrong with my thyroid. But you would spend hours just looking at the ceiling going, are we going to make payroll? Like, yeah. Are we actually going to be able to pay people? Are we going to get stuck with this net 180 payment terms from this client? You know, all of these kind of different things that, you know, I didn't get to the stage of, of biting my fingernails, but I certainly didn't have very good behaviors in terms of mental or physical health at that time. And I think that empathy is is really important because now I can look at people and go, are, you know, you see the rings under people's eyes and go, you know what, you need to kind of take a little bit of a step back and talk to other people who have been there and done that and understand the situation that you're in. And sometimes, you know, those conversations lead you to having to go, the best thing for you to do now is not to run a company anymore. Yeah, like it's to stop doing this and and take a break and then come back and do it again. You know, I mean, I, and and I say this with my hand in my heart. It probably sounds a bit trite and American, but I view the opportunity to invest in a company and 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 in a founding team and in a founder is a privilege that I'm lucky enough to have. And in a lot of cases, I've said this to people that you know. The, the person is what I'm investing in. The the business that they run is maybe not necessarily always the thing that I th think I'm investing in. I've certainly invested in some where they've pivoted quite, quite substantially. But I also view it as the price of admission to getting to invest in their next thing. Yeah. Right? And I think there are a whole bunch of people who I've worked with over the years where they're now kind of starting to work on company number two if the first one didn't work out or two or three. And I really hope that I'll be, uh, you know, an email that they'll send their teaser trailer to when when the time comes, because I think that's how we should be supporting founders. You know, I, I don't think we should be kind of trying to replace CEOs if things are not going well. I mean, not not always anyway. But I do think that that empathy piece is just, it's it's hugely valuable and, and badly needed. Yeah, no, definitely. I 100% agree. I have, I have two final questions. Number one, your best number of ventures has the, this great anti-portfolio of companies that pitched them and that they passed on and then went on to unbelievable success. Do you maintain anything like that? Is there, is the What is the most successful company that you passed on? Right, like, no, it's never going to work. So it's funny you should ask me this because I was uh, it came up about two weeks ago. We had a guy called Alex Fleetwood come in uh, to do a founder story for the, the companies at Textiles London. So Alex ran a company called Sensible Object, which was a games company that used uh, voice and augmented 
augmented reality to create board games and, and, and games on Alexa. Uh, they went through the Techstars Alexa program a couple of years ago. And so Aviel, who runs the Techstars program, introduced me. They were based here in London in Somerset House. He said, you should meet Alex. You know games and you know, you'll know you really like him. So I met Alex and I thought, this guy's really smart. And I really liked the game and I really liked what they were up to. Uh, I liked them so much, I put them in the deal flow email and pinged it yeah. out to, to a bunch of people. And then, and I, I honestly actually can't remember the, the rationale behind my decision, but I was like, I, I'm not. I'm not actually gonna gonna invest myself. And then Alex sold the company to Niantic. <laughs> so well done, Alex. Uh, yeah. Bad job, uh, me. But we're still friends. Yeah, you can be an investor in his next one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he did so well from Niantic, he's just off to buy an island. And, yeah, and, and, I mean, I'm gonna be a limited edition Harry Potter or something or other from their from their new game. But it's it, you know th- th- there will always be those you know it's like these kind of sliding doors moments. That, yeah. You know that that was a, a decision that I. <laughs> arguably should have uh, made a different choice on. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, if you could give any advice to the entrepreneurs and the and the, the soon-to-be entrepreneurs that are listening to this to stand out when they are pitching to investors or whether that happens to be a demo day or via email, what is that kind of key piece of advice that you'd give? I think be really passionate about what you do, I think is the most important thing. Like when you see someone pitching at a demo day and they really, really love what they do, that comes across, right? There, there is an endless amount of coaching, as you know, a very endless amount of coaching uh, that we occasionally do at companies ahead of, of demo days and, and everyone gets on stage and can shine. And then there are other companies that pitch and that coaching just elevates it to a totally different level. And it's like the, you know, you can see the kind of passion and exuberance fizzing off the stage and off the, and you can also see that fizzing off the page when people write about, uh, you know, stuff that they're passionate about. So I think that's one of the most important things is like, you really need to get across, particularly at an, at an early stage where, you know, if if you're coming into Techstars at, at, let's say, idea or concept stage, we're going to invest, a, you know, $120,000, which is not a lot of money, which means that you're probably going to have a fairly crap salary for, for the first couple of months of the, the program. And so, better hope that you really, really love what you're doing because otherwise, you know, someone will put a job ad on Twitter and you'll go, you know what, I could actually get 250 grand for being a, you know, machine learning engineer at, at, yep. at, at Facebook. So I think doing something that you really love and making sure that you do it with people that you also really, really like, like that that passion for me is, is the most important thing. And when you join those two together, you get something that's really magical. Awesome. Eamon Carey, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts.